I'm Aaron Vaccaro, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. So I want to tell you a little bit about our main sponsor for the episode. Script Anatomy is a screenwriting school that gets incredible results. In just four years, their students have won 58 fellowships, half of them at major studios. In 2020 alone, Script Anatomy won four out of 11 fellowships at CBS and three out of eight at Warner Brothers. Why? Because the instructors are all working writers with current credits. They teach a consistent tool-based program and they treat students like emerging professionals. To get your writing career started, go to scriptanatomy.com. My name's Gray Jones and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine. And I'm so excited to have with me today Script Anatomy instructor of multiple courses, Aaron Vaccaro. How are you doing, Aaron? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Gray. Very cool. And we will talk about your Script Anatomy stuff in the latter half of the interview. But first, I want to get to know you a little bit. Tell me about your background. Well, I'm one of the rare native Angelinos that went into this business. Uh, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, Woodland Hills specifically. Uh, and I kind of got the film and TV bug fairly early. My grandfather was an actor and he was in the original Our Gang Little Rascal comedies from wow. the 1930s and 40s. And he was also in some Shirley Temple movies and uh, was kind of the, the first wave of child actors, if you will. And so I was kind of enamored by that. There were a lot of cool, you know, production stills around my grandparents' house. And so I just became very, you know, infatuated with the business and the whole idea of movie making and, and making TV. And so that actually led me to not want to become a writer, but to become an actor. I wanted to be like my grandpa. And so I was a total theater kid throughout middle school and high school. I did all the musical theater and, um, you know, the Grease and the, you know, uh, uh, Ca uh, Captain Hook and Peter Pan. Yeah, I did. I did a bunch of it, a little shop of horrors and I loved it. I was, you know, naturally felt very comfortable on the stage. I don't know if it ran in my in my DNA, but I uh, really enjoyed it. And then when I was graduating from high school, I decided, well, do I want to live the starving actor life, right? Is that, is, that, is that a route that I want to go down? Do I want to break my Jewish mother's heart? And so I decided against that and decided, okay, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to be a, I'm going to study pre-law. So I'm going to go become a lawyer, make my Jewish mother very proud. Uh, only that's not exactly what happened. Obviously, if I'm here today talking to you, I did not become a lawyer. <laughs> um, I took one, I took a film studies class my first quarter at UC Santa Barbara, where I went to college, and just as an elective, just as something to kind of, you know, uh, get a departure from the intensity of the pre-law classes, and I fell in love with studying cinema and studying television, and from there I decided to double major, and then it, it, as college went on, my, 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 I was definitely taking more of the film and TV off-ramp than I was the going towards, uh, law school and all that. I still took the LSAT and that was kind of the final nail in my decision to whether or not I was going to go into law because I did not do well on the LSAT. And so I thought, well, maybe that's, maybe that's fate telling me that I'm not destined to be a lawyer. And I'm kind of glad I didn't go down the route because I have a lot of uh, friends that are lawyers and most of them are pretty miserable. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I mean, that's kind of the pre-working background is that, uh, you know, I graduated with a double major in, in law and society, which was the pre-law major and film studies, and then moved back out to LA to try my hand out in the business, uh, which was a little weird having grown up in LA, kind of moving back my 
mother had moved out to Palm Desert where my grandparents lived. And so I was kind of moving back out to LA as a stranger a little bit. I didn't have any place to live. It was like coming back to my hometown but not having a home to come back to. And uh, I think, you know, in hindsight, I think it probably was for the best because it allowed me to kind of have to really be nimble on my feet and figure stuff out. And, uh, but yeah, I didn't know exactly. Even then I had done a lot of creative writing and, uh, and whatnot in, in my past, but I wasn't sure that writing was what I wanted to do. So uh, I came out and my first job was actually got from a, uh, a friend or a fellow student in my film studies program at UC Santa Barbara. It was a post-production PA job on a TV movie back when the network still made those. And uh, I quickly learned that I did not want to work in post-production. I did, did the idea of editing was just not something that seemed particularly exciting to me. Uh, and then that's when I really started to kind of delve more into writing and thinking like, oh, maybe this is, this is you know, more up my alley. And my boss on that, uh, that TV movie that I was working on got hired to be the post-production supervisor on the Ghost Whisperer pilot, uh, which is dating myself, I know. And, uh, and from there, he knew that I was kind of leaning towards the writing sector. And so after, when that show went to series, I worked with him on the pilot as his, as his post coordinator. But when it went to series, he put in a good word for me with the showrunner, got me in as the writer's PA. And that kind of started my trajectory uh, towards, towards the writer's room. Very, very cool. So, and you actually uh, were an assistant on a number of shows around that time, right? Yeah, too many. Too uh, many, actually. <laughs> um, I spent eight plus years as an assistant. Wow. Uh, you know, predominantly starting out in post-production, like I said, uh, and then from, from Ghost of Spurs started kind of my involvement around the writing department on shows. So I was the writer's PA on the first season of Ghost Whisperer. Then I got promoted to writer's assistant the second season, and then uh, left to go be a writer's assistant on 24, and was there for a season or two. Then the writer's strike happened, which then kind of leveled everything. You know, all, yeah. all the momentum that I had going as far as being able to jump from show to show was kind of shot. Uh, and uh, during that time, I had to go back to waiting tables, which I hadn't done since college. Just had to, you know, do what I had to do to make ends meet. And then after the writer strike happened, I decided to. I was looking for anything, right? And I, and I went back to being an office PA, which was a major step backwards at that point, having been in the writer's department, going back and being in a production office PA. Uh, but again, I just kind of wanted to get back in the game, and it was it kind of worked out to be a good decision on my part because I became an office PA in the comedy space, which kind of became where I belong, like which is. The, the sector that I felt most at home. And so that was on The New Adventures of Old Christine. I was the uh, office PA on, oh my God, I can't even remember which season, but one of the middle seasons of the show. And then uh, the next season, which was the last season of the show, I got promoted to writer's assistant. Uh, and and then we got, or it was, I had just been promoted to writer's assistant and then the show got canceled. And, <laughs> and so, you know, it's a, a lot of this, this industry is the stars aligning in the right yeah. way. Uh, and, and so, you know, it is what it is. And it, it definitely perfect storms have to happen a lot of times to, to have these jobs, uh, you know, to, to make that next leap to the writer's room. Yeah. But from there, you know, I worked on a slew of other uh, comedies I, uh, on I Hate My Teenage Daughter. Uh, Mike and Molly was kind of the big one. Uh, that's a whole ordeal unto itself. I, I, I left 
Mike and Molly then came back to Mike and Molly. Uh, it was not the most enjoyable work environment. Um, so that was the reason why I left and I had another job. I worked on Wilfred as well as a writer's assistant and script coordinator. Um, and, and then I decided to come back to Mike and Molly because there had been forward mobility with the previous writer's assistants. They had gotten staffed on the show. And so I decided to sell my soul a little bit, which you know everyone has to do a little bit of in, in this industry. And, and I, uh, I decided to come back I asked for a, a big raise and I got it because I was one of the few people that left on my own accord and wasn't fired from that show. And uh, it was worse than ever when I went back. Like it was just more toxic than, than it ever was. And it was, uh, things changed in terms of leadership at, on the show at the end of the season. And the number three writer on the show got bumped up to showrunner. And he knew that I had been, you know, working really hard and proving myself and, you know, pitching and, you know, doing the things that a seasoned writer's assistant does when, you know, they've earned that right. And he staffed me on the show. And so, you know, cool. the long journey, eight, eight plus years later, I had five, I was finally in the writer's room. Well, uh, I do know a writer who, who went 10 years as an assistant before finally yeah. making the jump. It's, it's a common misconception that I think a lot of writers or aspiring writers starting out don't understand you know they see they go on Twitter and they see people that you know have been writing for a year or they you know they just wrote their first script and got staffed on or whatever it may be and then they and then they get staffed it's you know the road is different for everyone and it's there's there's no that's always something I tell my students too is like there's no one path to becoming yeah. a TV writer right there's there's a multitude of different paths and you got to find the one that works for you and the one you have the most luck at mm. so so you had observed many writers rooms what was it like to finally be on staff it was kind of very i felt very vindicated right it was you know it, it's it's hard being behind the computer taking notes jotting everything down and you know on certain shows you have a showrunner that welcomes the writer's assistant or script coordinator to pitch when you know you pick and choose your battles you don't pitch all day because your main job is to type everything down get everything down and into the notes and make sure you're paying attention to your job duties but there's others. There's other showrunners that you are not allowed to talk at all when you're behind that computer. You are basically a dictation machine. Uh, you know that you treat it almost to a subhuman level. And so, uh, you know, I, I've had I, I I had both experiences, and uh, it was you know I think what was nice about finally getting to be at the big kids table, so to speak, and being being in the writers' room was that I. It was with writers that I had a familiarity with, right? I had already worked with them on previous seasons of Mike and Molly, and so it wasn't going to a whole new room fresh. And I think that really helped the easing in to, you know, because there's a lot of nerves and there's a lot of anxiety. There's, you know, the imposter syndrome starts to creep in, like, oh, am I really, am I really cut out to be doing this job, making this, you know, gargantuan amount of more money than I was making as a writer's assistant. And so having the comfortability of having a supportive group of writers on the Mike and Molly writing staff that I had worked with previously really eased the transition. But yeah, it's it's definitely nerve wracking when you finally get that opportunity and you gotta kinda know the politics of the room. Like there, there, there is a definite pecking order to writer's rooms, um, you know, not a blanket statement, but in general, most writers' rooms are, you know, based on your title, is kind of based on how much you should be talking in the room. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, Chuck Laurie, who was the kind of ran, didn't run Mike and Molly the show, but 
ran the empire, he, you know, he was definitely one of those, if he was in the room, if you were not a producer level or above, you know, like you probably just kind of bite your tongue a little bit and just kind of observe. And that was totally fine. It was kind of, you know, it, it was all, it was a great learning experience. So I was okay with it. And you kind of get to watch a master at work, right? When he, cause he wouldn't come into the room every day. He'd come in like after a table read and to help, you know, do the rewrite after the table read. And you'd watch him work and you're like, oh yeah, I get why this guy is, is the maestro of sitcoms, right? I mean, he can just come in, see what's not working, fix it, do a two hour rewrite on it and an extensive rewrite sometimes, but still do it in two hours and everyone's going home for dinner. And it was, it was kind of something to behold for sure. Wow. Wow. So, and then from Mike and Molly, you went to Superior Donuts? Yeah. So I was, uh, I was, I actually wasn't staffed on Superior Donuts. I just did a freelance script oh. over on Superior Donuts and, uh, was, was actually script coordinating back on that show too. So there, you know, after Mike and Molly ended, again, another, another, you know, thing people don't realize is that you think you just go from show to show. Once you get that first job, you just, you know, that job ends and you hop right on to the next one. <laughs> Not always the case, right? Yeah. So I, I actually had a, you know, a decently lengthy gap. And so I was, you know, fearing that I was losing my grip a little bit on my, you know, contacts and you know, the people that I knew in the industry. So I took the humbling step of going back to being a script coordinator for a season. And luckily, you know, I had good showrunners that gave me and the other writer's assistant uh, a freelance script on the show, uh, but it wasn't easy. Like, I'm not gonna lie. It was, you know, it's hard to have been at the big kids table and then have to go back to the kitty table yeah. and to kind of be treated like an assistant and, you know, not, not getting to be a part of that collective. So um, yeah, I, I stayed on Superior Donuts for uh, one season and then I was, you know, I decided I was gonna, you know, recommit myself to getting staffed again, and then, you know, going back to school and, you know, doing those things. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you went to Team Kaylee after that. Yeah. Or did you school first? So school happened in between there. I decided I had started my master's program at Cal State Northridge before I got staffed on Mike and Molly, and then when I got staffed on Mike and Molly, I decided to put that on hold, obviously, because. Mike and Molly was my priority. Yeah. And then uh, after Superior, actually after Mike and Molly, I think I went back and, and did the, went back to finish my MFA, but it took like another year or so to finish it. And then after that, after I graduated from there, I actually took on a writing partner and shortly after that, we, we got staffed on Team Kaylee over at Netflix. Very interesting. Um, that's not that common to, to take on a writing partner sort of later in in your career yeah no i mean it's all about pivoting right it's all about you know if things aren't working what can you do to help your you know help move move the ball down the field right and so i felt that you know i wasn't getting still wasn't getting a lot of traction as a writer and for whatever reason you know i a lot of the contacts i that i had either weren't getting shows picked up to series or weren't selling shows. And so I didn't know a lot of the new crop of writers that were selling shows. And so I was a little bit on the outside looking in. And so to make myself a little bit more marketable, and I partnered up with another writer who was also looking to make herself a little bit more marketable, who was a solo writer. And you know, having a writing team is always gonna be more attractive to a show, right? Because you're getting two writers for the price of one. Yeah, very, very cool. And so how's that experience been so far? Amazing, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my writing partner is also an instructor here at Script Anatomy, and it was 
this is a very lonely job, right? You know, when you're not on a show and you're not in a writer's room every day, but you're sitting at home working on your specs and, and going through the writing process. If you, if you don't have a writing partner, it can be very lonely. You don't know if you, if what you're working on is truly working until you send out that draft to, to your, the writers that you trust to give notes on. The beautiful thing about having a writing partner is that you eliminate that, right? You, you have each other to bounce ideas off of. You can kind of, you have a litmus test sort of to have somebody that you can see if something's working or if it's not working and not spend a week or two or a month going down one road that proves to be a dead end. You can kind of nip it in the bud a lot sooner. And it's just nice to have somebody to collaborate with and, you know, you each have strengths that you bring to the table and and then you know hopefully hopefully you you kind of complement each other well mm. in that sense yeah. very very cool and and so together you staffed on team kaylee yeah yeah so we were uh we we together staffed on team kaylee and that was an amazing room like i you know we had a blast on that show and unfortunately it only lasted one season which was truly heartbreaking because we really had uh, a lot of fun working on that show, and it was my first foray into kids TV, right? Because it was a uh, a kids sitcom, and it, I was a little nervous, not having written anything in that world. Kind of surprised that that was the show that we got staffed on, considering our writing sample at that point, or our, I think our two writing samples at that point were adult comedies oh, yeah. that we were kind of, and you know, dark cable. You know, dark comedies, right? Like had had some raunch to them, had some adult uh, adult subject matter to them, and so was a little surprised when you know the, the kids show was like, yeah, come aboard on our on our staff. But uh, you know, I, now that I've worked in kids TV the last few years, I've come to find that that's actually fairly commonplace. Is that a lot of these showrunners of kids shows are so tired of writing kids TV and doing that all day every day that they, when it comes to staffing, they actually want to read adult comedy mm -hmm. writing samples to kind of get see something new and different. And also not a whole ton of writers out there have kids sitcom samples. Right. So I think, you know, it's also probably what, what's at their disposal. Very cool. And, and uh, now you did get your MFA in screenwriting and you've also done teaching not only at Script Anatomy but some other places as well. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, prior to Script Anatomy, I did some guest lecturing. You know, I, I taught a little bit at uh, AFI and um, a couple of the community colleges around uh, LA and I did, uh, I went back to CSUN and did some guest lecturing as well. And just to kind of, you know, dip my toes in the water. My whole thing with teaching is that I had always, I had always envisioned, you know, when I was, when I first embarked on that program, when I first got into the program, uh, I always thought of that as that was going to be my third act to kind of use screenwriter terminology, feature screenwriter terminology. Um, that was always going to be, you know, when I got burnt out on the hustle and the grind of the writers' rooms and was surrounded by all these bitter, jaded sitcom writers that were complaining about their pilot deals and whatnot, that I could go into academia and I could work with excited uh, young people that were embarking on this journey. And at the beginning of their journey, that would kind of revitalize me as, you know, a 50 plus year old, uh, probably bitter jaded writer myself. Now, when I had started to have gaps in my career, I thought, okay, maybe I start this third act. Maybe it becomes more like my midpoint. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah. And so I did, you know, after I got the MFA and I completed the program and started dipping my toes in the teaching water, I loved it. Like I, I just, it was, it was a total high for me. Uh, just kind of being, 
uh, that focal point for writers and you know being able to guide them to on their process of get you know teaching them how the, the basics of screenwriting and then kind of shepherding their projects forward and then when I got the chance to meet Tanya I mean then it just felt like the perfect fit and I was very grateful when she decided to bring me aboard on Script Anatomy. Very, very cool. We're going to take a quick sponsor break right now and then we're going to come back to talk all about the course at Script Anatomy. AVGearGuide.com uses state-of-the-art technology to bring new life to old films and videos like the Lost Betty White series Pet Set which they recently restored for its 50th anniversary. They can apply the same technology to your documentary, film and video archive and family videos. Visit AVGearGuide.com for details. DrivingFootage.com provides 360-degree driving plates for film and TV. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with more areas coming soon. A fully equipped camera car with height-adjustable rig is available for custom shoots. Visit DrivingFootage.com for details. Full disclosure, I do own both of these companies. By supporting them, you help me bring new in-person video interviews to you. And we're back. So you also teach a TV pilot lab, but because the, the TV spec pilot draft intensive is coming up soon, we'll talk about that today. Um, according to the Script Anatomy site, it's for if you already have an outline for a TV spec script or pilot that you want to take to draft, or a draft that needs to be rewritten, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Ideally, it's a it's the course you would take after televisionary where you come out of televisionary with a completed outline and then you kind of roll right in to the draft intensive class and turn that outline into a draft but you know I, I've had plenty of students that just go right into draft intensive not having televisionary I don't necessarily recommend that uh, per se only because there's a lot of especially if you've never let me let me rephrase. If you have if you've written before or you 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 know the fundamentals of TV writing, then sure, I think you can go right into draft intensive. If you're brand new to TV writing, uh, televisionary is of the utmost importance of just getting that foundation, knowing kind of the terminology, uh, the 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 uh, meat of structure and you know character development and kind of fleshing out your world, doing all that that earlier work before you get to the outline phase because in draft intensive, yeah, you start with an outline. So we kind of take that outline and hit the ground running. So there's not a, there's not, there's not time really to, to kind of go back and, you know, rethink your characters and rethink the world of your show. Like you really need to kind of have that all ready to go. Very cool. And, and just to be clear, it, it could be drama or comedy. It could be a spec episode of a TV show or a spec pilot. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there. I think there are certain uh, certain classes on the site. Sometimes I'll teach a specifically comedy draft intensive. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I, I having worked in both comedy and drama, I feel, and having written both comedy and drama, I feel, you know, fairly comfortable teaching both. So I usually do a dual dual genre. Mm, very cool. And so um, there's there's a week of prep before time is that sort of when you connect with the student on their outline and, and just uh, what, what does that involve it's usually you know i send out my welcome email let them know kind of how the class is going to work and yes i say okay here's your first assignment you know before we even meet each other on uh you know in in the virtual classroom or in the script anatomy space is 
is having your outline, right? And so some people might use that week to write their outline if they don't have the outline. And so if that's the case, then yeah, they'll, they'll send me emails like, hey, I'm thinking about doing a show, you know, that's a dystopian, you know, uh, noir drama, you know, whatever it may be. And then I will kind of give them feedback on, on that if, if they're looking for it, or, you know, they might just go ahead and send in the outline, you know, or, or spend that week working on the outline and turn that in. Yeah. So, so what can a person do to set themselves up for success in this? Um, uh, it, it sounds like definitely having a good outline is, is a key, but what, what more than that? I, I really think it's doing your homework, right? I think it's really uh, like aggressively thinking about your, your show, right? In television area, we spend a lot of time about, you know, kind of doing the macro work of thinking about your characters and the world and the franchise of your show and you know how many seasons you could see it going what are things you can you know how do you envision the series ending kind of more on like a macro level of the show itself so once you've done that legwork it makes it so much easier to kind of delve into the outline because you know the characters so well you have an idea of what their arcs are going to be over the course of the series uh, you know, knowing what their want is, not just for the pilot, which will be what it is in your outline, but knowing what their, their goal or their want is for the series, right? Because those are oftentimes two very different things, or the pilot is the start of that, of that goal and want for the series. So I think really not just, not just blindly launching into an outline and, and, and without having really, you know, constructively thought about your your characters in the world of your show in in a, in a really detailed sense mm. and so this this particular class is it's three sessions with big breaks in between for writing can you talk a little bit about how those sessions are structured yeah so it's we meet three times and then it's a five-week class we meet three times and the off weeks is when you know that it's usually the day we would normally meet is when the assignments turned in that week so it just gives you know because we are going from outline to ideally completed draft uh it gives you know a little bit more time for for the writers to be able to turn out those pages in terms of the structure of the class you know you, the first class is is the structure of every class is the first half is lecture i'll talk about various tools that we teach at script anatomy and then the second half of the class is very much treated like a writer's room right it's 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 workshopping each other's work pitching uh you know the writer you know i usually depending on how many students i have in the class i will uh divide up how much time per student that we have to kind of talk about each person's work and then you know during during that writer's portion of the workshop that is their time, they can use that however they choose. If they, if they you know, had a question about notes that they got, right, and they, they, can, they can pose that to, to the collective, to you know, the writer's room, so to speak, or if they had an idea of how they wanted to fix something and they want to pitch that to the room, and then you know, we can pile on that or, or you know, say like, oh, that's good, but what if you did this instead, and you know, kind of work, it, work through it that way. Uh, but that's, that's the structure of each class, half lecture, half workshop and I think the beauty of script anatomy aside from you know having working writers teaching TV writing is also that these workshop portions of the classes you're not just getting notes from me you're getting notes from eight of eight eight of your peers or ten of your peers or twelve of your peers however many other students are on the class and so it really helps in the note-taking process to really see what stuff is bubbling to the surface of what's really not working in my story. Because that's usually the things that three, four, five, six people will hit on. Like, mm, I don't know about you know your, your, your main character's arc, 
then it makes it a lot easier to go back and be like, oh, okay, maybe I need to take a harder look at, you know, my character's arc and see see what exactly isn't working about that. Mm. And so do um, does everybody send out their drafts ahead of time and then read each other's work before the class? Yeah, so uh, like the class I'm teaching right now, we meet on Wednesdays, right? So the first class, uh, you know, everybody sends in that outline beforehand, before we meet, uh, usually a week before we meet so that everyone has that week to read and email uh, the each writer individually notes on their piece. And then we'll meet for class, do lecture, and then we'll do a, you know in-person workshop where that, like I said, that writer can address those notes that they received uh, in, and you know, kind of try to work through stuff. And then uh, they'll have their next assignment. So in that class, once you know, they have their outline and we've done the workshop on their outline, they can either choose to revise their outline if they got like a ton of notes on their outline and they don't feel comfortable launching into, you know, starting to write pages of the script, they can go back and revise their outline. Uh, or they can, if they, you know, the, the work is minimal on the outline, they can then move on to write the first half of the first draft, which is, which would be the next assignment. And then that would be turned in the following Wednesday when we're not meeting. That would just be emailed to everyone and then everyone has that next week to read and provide notes and then, uh, you know, the third, or the, the third Wednesday we're meeting, you know, then we're, 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 we're giving notes on the revised outlines or the first half of the drafts and then so on and so forth. And then the, the last assignment is either going to be those who did revised outlines turning in their first half or those who uh, did their first half turning in their second half of their scripts. Very, very cool. Um, tell me about some of the success stories. And, and I don't mean just afterwards, but, but during the course, what kind of victories have you seen people have? Oh man, it's, it's it's pretty rewarding just working with you know writers of all shapes and sizes in terms of their their abilities you know I, I've had writers that have been writing for ten years and you know whether it's you know been you know t trying their hand at short stories or novel writing maybe this is their first time or you know writing writing in the in the TV writing space or writers that this is their first introduction to writing TV. I love the ones that it's their first introduction to writing TV because I kind of love to see, the, you know, the, the, their eyes light up and they kind of things start clicking. And, uh, you know, I think, I think seeing a writer figure out uh, a problem that's not working in their script and come out of that and, and through either through notes that I give or notes that they're getting through that collective workshop portion of the writer's room uh, in class and just seeing something that you can kind of just see them light up and then you read their next stuff and like you're like oh okay they got it and and you know as writers we've all been there we've all been stuck on something on a story and we just can't figure out what that you know what that low point is going to be at you know the end of act 2 of my comedy pilot and and then when you finally click and find that or like what my inciting incident is going to be that's really going to make my script sing and and feel really unique and different and when they find that thing it's so exciting cuz you can feel it on the page you can feel their passion coming through when maybe before that, the, the frustration was coming through a little bit more, right? Like they were kind of going through the motions, but they hadn't quite found it yet. And you know, that's part of the challenge, I think, of script anatomy is that we do move fast. So oftentimes like you, you can't be too precious on stuff, but that's how TV works, right? That TV writing is a very accelerated process. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it does take some of those newbie writers a little bit of time to kind of get their sea legs and figure it out but it's you know just just seeing them kind of the, the it all click together and you know the wheels start 
work in and, and, and then see their writing just change dramatically is, is definitely my favorite, uh, you know, success that, that I've seen happen is just, that's uh, it's very gratifying. Mm, very, very cool. I, I had a professor in university, Spanish professor, and he spoke very, very fast. And students would ask him, can you slow down so that I can understand you? And his answer was, this is how Spanish is spoken. You need to develop a fast ear. Yeah. And, and the application for, for TV writing is, TV writing is to a deadline, it's fast. Yeah. Like, like in, a, in an actual writer's room, you're assigned a draft, you don't get that much time. Typically no. it's a week. I, theoretically it could be two weeks, but I've, it's rarely two weeks. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, it depends on the show. It depends on the production schedule, where you are in the season. You know, if you're up against it, uh, timing-wise. But yeah, typically on a comedy, you get a week to turn out. Uh, you know, a Monday to Friday, essentially, to turn out a first draft. And then dramas, I think it could be anywhere from you know ten to fourteen days. But yeah, I mean, if if it's crunch time, then you got to be able to adapt and be able to churn something out quicker than that. And that, that's also one of the things I say in my classes. Is I say you know, please meet your deadlines, right? It's, it's one of the few things in this job that's within your control. Because ultimately, you know, you, you can only do your best in the writer's room, try to pitch the best stuff, and you know, we're all gonna pitch jokes that are gonna fall flat in the writer's room and, you know, kind of not, not, not letting that, you know, get too much in your head. But meeting deadlines is something that you just need to be able to do. Because it's the easiest way for a showrunner to not ask you back to a show. Wow. Yeah, very cool. Well, what are, what are some of the common mistakes that you see people doing? Huh, I think, you know, to me, when you get in a dialogue, I find that the most common mistake and like one of my big headline notes that I give to writers is read your dialogue out loud. Mm -hmm. Because I think, especially a lot of new writers, and I was guilty of this myself when I first started writing. I because when I, when I first tried my hand at screenwriting, I was coming right out of college and I was so used to writing term papers. And so all of my dialogue, there were no contractions, right? It was all complete sentences, you know, could not, would not, there, you know, yeah, there is. And so stuff, but people don't talk like that. People talk in contractions. And so dialogue is the easiest way to be able to pick out an amateur writer, right? If the dialogue doesn't sound natural, and then on the flip side, if it sounds too precious and sounds overridden, there you gotta you gotta find that fine line of of making it sound dynamic, but also sounding like how human beings talk. And I find, and I still do it with all my scripts, is reading my dialogue out loud after I'm done. It's just I think the easiest way to hear it and be able to know, okay, that sounds normal-ish or something how normal people would talk. Uh, and it, it is uh, it's that's definitely. I think you know one of the things I try to infuse on people, and you know I, I find a lot when first drafts come in is like you got to read your dialogue out loud. Uh, in terms of other things, I think I think a lot of times it's uh, not having a dynamic enough inciting incident, right? Because mm -hmm. you know I think that's how you separate yourself from the pack, right? Everyone says it's the cliche of like the first ten pages are everything, but it's a cliche for a reason because it's true, right? Your first ten pages are everything. If you don't hook somebody in those first 10 pages, and I don't care if you're writing a comedy or a drama or you know a genre piece, whatever it might be, if you don't have something that draws someone in immediately, they are going to throw it, well, no, we throw scripts in the trash anymore because everyone reads them on iPads, but they're gonna X out of the window of your, of your PDF and they're not gonna continue reading. So really making sure you put a lot of emphasis on those first 10 pages 
and making sure that it's dynamic, it's exciting, it's you know causing a reader to lean in and wanna know what's gonna happen next. You're establishing your main character in a really dynamic, interesting ways with both their flaws and the redeemable traits and kind of doing all these things, having this perfect storm of, of having those first 10 pages sing is, is usually is, you know, a thing I try to work really hard with my students on because I think that sets them up the most for success moving forward. Very cool. Um, and on the flip side, what makes a script stand out in a good way? Uh, well, definitely, you know, ha having having that that opening be something great. I think the opening, the the beginning of a script, and the end of the script, I think, are the most important, right? You know, obviously, it, it's all important. It all needs to be good, but you want to start out with a bang, and you want to end leaving a great taste in that reader's mouth, right? Where they just, you know, they 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 get to fade out, and they're like, "Wow, this is this is something." So, you know, I think, and I think even some of the professional writers are known to, you know, they have a great opening to something that's a, you know, draws you in immediately. And then it kind of fizzles out in the third act, right? Or it kind of, you, the, the ending's kind of lackluster. So I think, I think really emphasizing your beginnings and your ends and making sure that those are really tight and, and really engaging, uh, I think are uh, really, you know, of tantamount importance for sure. Mm, very cool. And so, um, what what about uh, you? Do teach one other course at Script Anatomy? Is it just one? No, I teach a I, I teach at least two. I teach Televisionary, yeah. uh, and then I also teach a, uh, a pilot lab. And what tell tell me just uh, nuts and bolts of that pilot lab? Uh, what what do you do in that one? Yeah, so the pilot lab is definitely uh, it's it's that one is more. It's almost even more accelerated in a, in a certain way. It's six sessions, right? So, and you meet every week. It's not, you know, the one-on, one-off style, but you go from idea to, uh, to finish first draft in those six weeks. So it's intense, right? So that's definitely one where we don't have time to go over the basics. There's just, there's, there's just no time to do that. Yeah. So you really, the, the way that class starts out is the, the, the prep work is the writers all kind of send in two or three ideas that they're milling about in their head. And I will, you know, try to steer them in a certain direction. Usually I do that by asking like, which one are you most passionate about? Cause that's the one I'm going to want to read. Cause that's the one that's going to be the most interesting on the page. Uh, but you know, so that's the prep work. And then there, you know, you go from that to beat sheet. Um, but what's kind of fun and different about the pilot lab with the beat sheet is that you're actually pitching out your story beats. Like you're mm. doing, you know, if you had no cards up on the wall, you'd be going beat by beat. And when we do the physical class, that's how we do it. I have everyone hang their story beats on, on the whiteboard and then they go through, you know, from teaser to, you know, end of, end of show and just kind of go beat by beat. And so it kind of flexes a new muscle that a lot of people that, you know, have maybe taken the other classes haven't done, which is that getting in, up in front and pitching, which is a whole other art form to to have to kind of gain gain a sense of in this business. So they go through, they pitch their beats. We give them, you know, myself and the rest of the students give notes on the beats. They go through, rewrite those, and then they will, you know, based on those notes, will then move on to the outline, write the outline, turn that in, get notes on that and then move on to first draft and then uh, you know do the first half of the first draft second half of the first draft but it's uh it's you know and then it's kind of it's just a more compressed it's like basically putting televisionary and draft intensive together in terms of the material you're turning out but you know definitely televisionary 
you get all the nuts and bolts that you won't get in, in that you'll get a very abbreviated version of in like the first lecture of, of the pilot lab. Yeah, very, very cool. I, I am a big fan of those, especially if you've got a little bit of writing experience already. Um, it can really put the fire under your butt to, to, to get a draft written in, in a yeah. very short amount of time. And I get a bunch of students that, you know, they are that they are writers like they, you know they might have sold something before they might have you know been staffed on a show before and they like taking the script anatomy classes just for that reason because it does hold them accountable for getting you know a, a new sample churned out in in a short amount of time because yeah i mean i think we're all guilty of it at times when you don't have that whip being cracked on you you can sit at home and kind of dilly dally and you know not not really sit down at the computer but the the deadlines of these of these courses definitely force you to have to get the work done very very cool um so uh, one question i'm asking everybody towards the end is um outside of just right which obviously is very important what do you think is the most important career advice that you would give somebody who's starting out and wants to be a tv writer ah uh, you know i always say the industry is not as big as you think it is uh and so it's really important to check your ego at the door and not you know, not be above anything, um, you know, obviously within reason, but you know, not, not be above the, the grunt work. If you get a PA job and you're having to get lunch and get coffees for people, uh, you know, but you're, you're, you, you know, you think like, well, I'm better than this. I'm a writer. Like, I don't want to go get people their lunch. Yeah. Well, th that's kind of the way it works, right? That's, you know, if you do go that path. And so I, you know, I think in the beginning I had a chip on my shoulder coming out of college because here I was, like I was a film major graduate from a UC and I thought, you know, I was gonna come and take the, you know, be the next Spielberg or what have you. And it was humbling. And I think I, you know, had to kind of take a step back and reevaluate my attitude on stuff and know like, oh, there, this industry isn't as big and people talk and you can get a reputation of yourself and it's really easy to burn bridges right off the bat. So it's really important to kind of come into it with the right attitude be excited to learn to you know be a sponge right i think the like my favorite part about being a writer's assistant was just being a fly on the wall of the mm -hmm. process it's it's a it's a it's a an experience that most writers or most people aren't privy to to get to you know just be in the writer's room while you know like imagine being in the writer's room on breaking bad when they were figuring out that first season like that's so exciting to see how they're connecting all those dots so i think for sure uh, you know checking your ego out the door and just realizing that, you know, the, the business is, is not as, as big as it is and people talk and you don't want to burn any bridges. Um, and I think the other, the other thing that I will say, and I think this is more, uh, applicable now than ever is don't compare yourself to what you're seeing on social media. Mm. Right. And I think that's a really, and I, it's a trap that I find myself falling into too, right? You know, you, you see people posting like, oh, I just got staffed on this show or I just sold my show. And you think like, well, why not me? What am I doing wrong? Right? Everyone's path is different. You don't know any of the circumstances about what happened to that person. And that led to that opportunity, right? So don't compare yourself. Like don't, you'll drive yourselves crazy. You'll, you know, potentially fall into some deep, dark depression and want to give up writing. And that's, you know, the last thing that you want to be doing. So, you know, I think, I think it's really important to kind of take a step back turn off the, the, the doom scrolling of the, of the social media and, uh, you know, definitely just write, but not just write, like go for a hike, go do something else, you know, just don't, don't be consumed with what's going on on social media all the time. 
as important as it, as it is to just write, it's important to kind of get away from it all and kind of have that peace of mind as well. And, and just know, you know, it happens for everyone at different portions, hence, you know, eight plus years to get to the, to the, to the writer's, uh, the writer's table. So very, very cool. And speaking of social media, you have a very, very easy to remember, um, Twitter handle, Harry pizza bagel. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's common knowledge that a pizza bagel is an Italian Jew, uh -huh. and, and so that is what I am. I am an Italian Jewish man, and I am a hairy man, which you can tell by my face, but you can imagine, you know, the rest of it <laughs> matches, matches the face. And so, you know, it felt like a, as, you know, somebody on Twitter, as a comedy writer, trying to, you know, make a name for themselves, uh, I, I, I figured I'd go with the, uh, the ridiculous, silly Twitter handle. So yeah, Harry Pizza Bagel it is. Very cool. Well, make sure to follow Harry Pizza Bagel on Twitter. Um, and I noticed you rep by Brandy Rivers. Yeah. Um, I actually interviewed her in episode 48. Oh, really? So if anybody wants to learn about um, management, she's, she's actually, she, when I interviewed her, she was a manager, but now she's an agent. Uh, no, it was the other way around. She oh, used to be an agent, now oh, she's a manager. Right, okay. Yeah. So if you want to learn about representation, episode 48 is a great one to check out. Um, and make sure to visit scriptanatomy.com to find out all of the courses that Aaron is teaching. There's many of them and you need to book early because they fill up very quickly. Um, so you can sift uh, when you go on the course calendar, just choose Aaron and you'll find out all of the courses that are coming up that he's teaching. And definitely you want to book the TV spec pilot draft intensive, which is coming right up. And if you can't make it into this one, there will be another one repeating later in the year. But thanks so much, Aaron, for taking your time. Um, sounds like some really, really ex exciting work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Gray. This was a pleasure sitting down with you. Please follow me on Twitter for the latest updates. At Gray Jones is my handle. Make sure to bookmark tvwriterpodcast.com and scriptmag.com. You can find the video version of this podcast at iTunes, Podbean, and on YouTube. Make sure you do subscribe to all these places. Audio only, you can find us at iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or Pandora. And on Instagram, you can follow at TV Writer Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.